Hello, hello, my tribe, and welcome back to the A-Minus Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Casey Jericho, and let's keep showing up. Hello, and welcome to episode two. I hope more than my mother is listening to this. Dad, I appreciate that you were committed to episode one. I know that's where we lost you, even though you're going to be a star role in this podcast. So this podcast, which everyone must be waiting for, no one besides like three people, is the Casey Jericho Tell All. How exciting. E! News, here I come. This is usually the first podcast that people will do, their background, who they are, why they're here, why they're doing a podcast, but I wanted to save this for episode two just because I thought the name of the podcast was more important than the person behind it. Um, I guess that comes from my team over individual belief since I've been younger, Um, but I think it is important that people listening get to kind of know who I am, where I come from why maybe I believe the things I do, and why I preach the things that I preach. So here we go. I am an only child, uh, born in 1989, me and T. Swift, to two pretty awesome parents that are unique and incredible and are going to be big roles in this podcast slash definitely big players in how I turned out the way I did, which I guess most parents are, but because of the way my parents raised me and some of their beliefs, I think they had a little bit more to do with how I turned out than maybe most. And we'll get into that. A little bit background on them. My mother, she was a high school athlete, grew up on Long Island. Uh, She claims she won most athletic in high school. Her main sport was volleyball and bowling, which is amazing. She had one older brother. Well, she has one older brother. And her dad, so my grandpa, my kid's great-grandpa, is still alive at 102 years old. And he's not just alive. He does live in an assisted living, not even a nursing home. But he's unbelievable. For his 100th birthday, he was raring and ready to go. Uh, Long-term firefighter, Navy during World War II. Pretty unbelievable. Um, So he's still around, which is great. Uh, Mom takes care of him. And it's really cool for my kids to have... They have three great-grandparents alive. That's amazing. Um, So then my dad is the oldest of three. And he also grew up on Long Island, a big-time athlete, wrestled, played football, and played lacrosse when they had wooden sticks. Yep, that's how old they are, wooden sticks. How cool. Um, He's a badass, made it real far in football. Um, He was actually getting recruited from Penn State his senior year but then in one of his lacrosse games he was wearing like old school metal cleats he planted down in a rainy game and tore his knee up and back then you know in the 1700s they didn't really do like ligament reconstruction on knees they kind of just casted the issue and let scar tissue take it over and just make it stable so he never got like surgery on his knee when he had torn ligaments he just put it in a cast and kept it still which is like now we know the worst thing possible and unfortunately that injury reoccurred multiple times because it was never appropriately fixed so he ended up going to a local community college and then somewhere in Connecticut and then landed himself at Eastern Illinois and he coached for a really long time after that and that is why my parents had me 10 years after they got married some may say that 
was a whoopsie waiting 10 years and then getting pregnant maybe they wanted to wait forever and whoops but they claim they just wanted to wait they wanted to make sure they were financially stable ready to be in one spot because they did move around due to my dad coaching and mom was always like ball girl slash team helper um for him which is super cute my dad's dad has a really cool story. Um, he was a paratrooper in World War II. So I'm a history teacher, and I'll get into why I love history in another podcast, but I have to tell this story now because it's the coolest story ever. Um, so my grandpa was a paratrooper, which those are the people that jump out of planes, and the purpose for them is to kind of get past and behind enemy lines without being seen so they can kind of sneak up the back um and my grandpa jumped on d-day world war ii normandy d-day yeah well i guess technically he jumped the day before d-day because the plan was for them to jump in at nighttime get behind the german soldiers try and take out who they could while the other troops were coming up on the beaches so that was my grandpa's role and he jumped out of a plane he did get shot on his way down and he landed with a bullet wound and continued to fight and took out like machine gunners that were on the top of the cliffs shooting down at the beaches and he took a couple of those people out which is unbelievable but then eventually because he was shot and he was losing blood he did pass out and I guess because the paratroopers' uniforms were just, like, gray suits, they weren't, like, country identifiable. I don't know if that's a word. Um, and his last name was Ludemann, like mine, which is very German. The German army medvacs picked him up, brought him to, I don't think a hospital, but, you know, some tent, and they saved his life. They took the bullet out, they stitched him up, they put him on IVs, and then they did move him to a local hospital where he woke up and started speaking English. And they were like, oh, shit, you're not German. Um, yeah, you're going to prison or a war camp. On top of that, he also tore his left knee while jumping out of the plane. So that is grandpa left knee blown up, dad left knee blown up. Don't worry, the saga continues. So he was in prison or war camp for some amount of time i'm not exactly sure it couldn't have been too long because we kicked ass on d-day and we liberated france so he was able to break out and unfortunately he had to walk through like turnip fields for a long time to get back to some american base so he ate and survived on turnips for longer than you should and i hear from my dad that whenever my grandma wanted to get back at my grandpa for some sort of argument or piss him off she would just cook turnips in the house and he would like have to leave and he couldn't even smell them so I just think that's like the coolest story in all the land um, unfortunately he passed away when I was pretty young so I never really got to pick his brain and it wasn't something he talked about all that much but he's in history books he's google famous I guess um, and again it's just an amazing story I love telling it to my class every year but I come from a pretty cool line of heroes. Um, I never got to meet my dad's mom, but she obviously had to be pretty badass to be handling my dad as a son and my grandpa as a husband. World War II hero had to be pretty tough and pretty brave. And then obviously my dad's, my mom's dad, 102 years old, Navy vet. Um, her mom was amazing. She was like the girly grandma. Uh, she like used to take me to this shoe store called Payless and always like get me fancy shoes and her makeup was always done and her hair was always done. So unfortunately, she also passed away when I was young or else maybe I wouldn't have been such a tomboy growing up. I needed her. Um, so some of my earliest memories and I don't have the best memory long term. I have an unbelievable short term memory. Like I will remember a thousand things that I have to do on a certain day or whose doctor appointment is where or my clients daily schedules but long term I can name like two teachers I've ever had in my whole life their names I can't tell you 
how old I was for any memory, but I'm going to try and pull some. Uh, working out was definitely a big part of my life ever since I was little. So we had a basement that wasn't finished and my dad had kind of set up, you know, a bench down there for him to work out. And I was such a daddy's girl. I would always follow him around. So I remember like bench pressing at age 12, obviously not a lot, but just for fun with my dad. He would put um, painter's chalk on my hand, like that blue painter's chalk. And then he would test like my vertical jump. So like you hold it up high, you tap the wall and then you jump and you tap the wall and that shows how high you can jump. Um, he would, I swear he kind of invented CrossFit. He would build boxes for me to like jump on and different things like burpees for me to do. He called them plyometrics, which is true, but he would do them in like a wad scenario. So I was working out since I was little, most nights before bed. I had a little book that I would write down how many push-ups I got in a minute and how many sit-ups I got in a minute. And I always thought it was fun. It was like my thing to do with dad. I would ride my bike with him to my grandpa's house. And when I tell people the story, like, that's so cute. And then I tell them like where my grandpa's house was. And for anyone on Long Island listening to this, like I lived in Holtzville, AKA Sachem School District. And my grandpa lived in Brentwood which is a solid 25 minutes away by car and like on a major eight lane highway. So obviously I didn't ride my bike on the highway. I was on the service road, but it was 25 minutes by car and there were hills, but I did it and I loved it. So that's pretty funny. Um, another story to kind of give you background on my mentality is that my parents put me in a private school when I was little for preschool because both of my parents worked. They couldn't really take off any more time and public school wouldn't take me yet because I was so little. So they looked up private schools that would take younger kids into preschool. And I went to this school out in like Nassau County and their only thing was that I had to be potty trained in order to go. And I was like, I don't know, maybe two. And my dad's response to them was, okay, I'm going to sign her up. And they were like, no, sir, sorry, she has to be potty trained. And he's like, yeah, no, I'll just bring her back tomorrow. And they're like, no, sir, she has to be potty trained. And he's like, yes, I heard you the first two times. She will come back tomorrow potty trained. I'm sure the ladies like rolled their eyes, talked about him after he left. Well, guess who came back the next day potty trained? Me. I don't remember it, but... My mom gave him the reins and I was potty trained in 24 hours, which let me tell you, is not a standard that you want to hold people to because it did not take me 24 hours with my son. It took me a lot longer. So that was shocking. I was like, I thought this took one day. It did not. Maybe my daughter will be different, but maybe I need to call my dad over. Um, so those are just some early kind of memories that definitely make sense, I think, if you know me or if you're starting to know me on why I am or why I believe the things I do or just why I am the person I am. Another cool story, which I always <laughs> claimed would compare me to Michael Jordan, um, you know, we're pretty much the same the kind of athlete, was I was cut from my first ever soccer team. Um, I tried out a year older and I was definitely technically good enough, I believe. But I guess I was not aggressive enough or, you know, big enough or whatnot. And back then, you got a letter in the mail if you made it or not. So I do remember waking up one morning and walking out to the kitchen. I didn't see my parents. They were probably outside or with the dogs on a walk, but the letter was open. And it said, sorry, thank you for your attempt, but you did not make this team. Um... We just didn't think you were aggressive enough or like had the ability to keep up with the older kids or something to that extent. And it was heart wrenching. Like it was my first smack in the face. I think I was only like nine or eight, but I remember that. And my parents were very disappointed in me because they said it was going to happen. I guess I didn't perform very great at the tryouts and they didn't take any sympathy. They laid it out for me and I read it and that was that. And from there, it definitely, I don't think it inspired me as a nine-year-old, but it stuck with me for sure. And it's actually kind of funny because one of my clients is the daughter 
of the woman who cut me and I've known her forever and we're actually very like we're close and it's a great story to tell um, and both of us grew up and played soccer in college and just very funny but that definitely took me on a different course I went to like a different town to play I'm not a believer in everything happens for a reason I actually hate that quote um, but the fact that I did get cut from this team brought me to other areas which then led me on the path to where I ended up being and the team I ended up playing for and literally the family that I grew from that. So I don't want to say I'm glad I got cut because that would be a lie, but things turned out okay. Um, I did eventually go to public school in eighth grade. And just a warning, this podcast is going to be full of embarrassing stories. I actually texted my two best friends as I wrote notes for this podcast and I was like, holy moly like this is basically just a roast of myself like we were losers with a capital l and we were dying laughing and they like couldn't believe that i was going to tell some of these stories but i think again it makes you realize a little bit more about me and the insight plus if you don't laugh at these i don't know who or what you laugh at but my first day of eighth grade I had always worn a uniform in private school and I had gone to private school up until, oh no, seventh grade, sorry. So I had gone to private school up till sixth grade and I was finally going to the local public school. And I was right around the corner. I would be a walker and I was pumped, but I was like newly 12. I was little because I started that preschool so young. I was a year up in school, um, not because I was a genius, solely because my dad potty trained me in such a short amount of time. I was a year ahead than I should have been. And like, a significant year ahead not just like an early birthday um so i was 12 newly 12 going into seventh grade and my mom took me to marshall's i believe or like tj maxx and i saw this leopard full-length skirt that i thought would be an incredible first day of school outfit for the new girl my mother must have known in her head that this was a horrible decision but she let me pick it, she bought it for me, and I thought I was hot stuff. I wore a full-length leopard skirt with like almost Birkenstock sandals, I guess those, were, those would be cool now, and some brown sweater. And I walked my tushy to school like I was about to own the place. Well, I definitely did not own the place, nor did I own any part of school ever. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting first day of school. Uh, public school was fine. I was very quiet. I was very young. I had some friends that I had known just from playing local soccer when I was little. Um, one of my longest and best friends I still am the closest with to this day was from Sagamore at the middle school and from soccer. So I'm very grateful. Um, but it was a short lived public school journey. I then went to St. Anthony's, which is a local high school, which is actually a pretty badass local Catholic school. It is highly ranking in almost every sport in the country. Um, lacrosse is killer. Like every Duke lacrosse player is from like the, not Mideast, the uh, Northeast. A lot are from St. Anthony's. It's a, it's a pretty killer sports school. The facilities are unbelievable. They were not when I was there, but they are now. And a couple of girls from this new soccer team that I had found myself on were going to go there. So in about eighth grade, I found my forever soccer team. It was a, another town, about four towns over, um, with a great trainer. He was young. He had a boys team that was older, and he was starting his first girls team. I was lucky enough to come across his vision playing for another team. He asked me to come best decision I've ever made in my life, best decision my parents ever made. And it was my forever home and where I found literally my best friends forever. So three of us, well, four of us, three other girls and me decided to go to St. Anthony's mostly because some of their older siblings had gone. Great school, great education, good sports, not public. Um, and we went together. So Again, I was newly just turned 14 going into ninth grade. I was very young. I was a big tomboy. 
and we were very quiet the four of us we were didn't really know anybody else going in because we had all come from public schools a lot of these people had come from private um, middle schools so they knew each other um, they were definitely a lot trendier than us I'll never forget the first day I saw my two best friends who are twins and the rule was your skirt had to be below your knee and it was like rumored that if you were a freshman coming in and your skirt was above your knee you were gonna get roasted by the administration well these two lovely girls we won't use their real names we'll call them lady and Cora um, had their skirts down to their ankles I'm not even kidding it was hysterical it was like oh you definitely surpassed your knees well done um, but it was a tight run school it was great again I didn't have a ton of friends I wasn't involved in the social scene all that much because we were so committed to soccer um, and something tragic happened to me my freshman year which pretty much set me on the course of who is that girl um, so I was sitting in history class as a freshman and in St. Anthony's it's very like hierarchy run um, you wear different colored uniforms for the grade you're in your lockers are on different floors for the grade you're in freshmen are on the fourth floor seniors are on the first it's very structured in a hierarchy which I kind of like but I was sitting in history class as a freshman with my freshman clothes on so everybody knew and I had just got in races I guess with a retainer in it so it was like double whammy and I started to have that funny feeling in your stomach where you're like oh, I don't feel so great and then I got that cotton mouth you know like that build up in your mouth where you know you're gonna get sick and I was so quiet I didn't even like raising my hand in class to go to the bathroom like I didn't like speaking I didn't want anyone's eyes on me and I held it in I held it in until I knew no chance so I ended up just getting up and running out didn't have, didn't say anything I was trying to make it to the nurse's office as fast as I could and I fell short I not only fell short but as I was projectile vomiting on the first floor which yes is the senior hallway the bell rang so here comes passing time and the seniors flood into the hall I actually threw up on a senior as well and you think the story would end there with embarrassment it does not I had a retainer that came out of my mouth while I puked also sorry this is not for the query stomach or whatnot but it is what it is that was very expensive because there was something about it that was a little bit different than a normal retainer I don't remember but my mom had like threatened my life if I lost it so my mother scared me I listened to what she said she was ruthless and she meant every word that she would kill me if I lost this so I got down on my hands and knees and went through my puke to find this retainer mortifying as seniors were looking at me I ran into the nurse's office a mess I cannot believe this happened I'm gonna have to transfer schools I'm gonna have to transfer states I just can't ever be seen again this is horrid I call my mother and her answer to come get me was well you already got sick so I'll see you at the end of the day oh, what you want me to go back to school after this just happened back into the halls and I guess it was just like a one-time stomach bug so I got myself cleaned up and did the walk of shame back to my next class and pretty much never raised my head again in school um no just kidding it wasn't that bad I didn't get like a silly nickname from it well maybe I did I just didn't know about it, it was behind my back but it was pretty rough um, then you know days go by soccer's great they had a rule there that you could have you had to be on JV for ninth and 10th grade and then you could be on varsity 11th and 12th no matter how good you were I was actually on the women's national team at the time well not women's I guess the youth national team at the time and I was on JV soccer in high school so our JV team was pretty legit I actually think we beat varsity in a scrimmage and then uh, they didn't like that very much but our JV team was lights out I would play like goalie and it was fun I mean it was school ball and I had a really great time got to hang out with like you know my close friends from my own team made some good friends but 
definitely wasn't, again, a social butterfly in high school. I actually had a nickname from my soccer friends called Big Butt Sweat-A-Lot Ludeman. So just if any part of that name was true, you could imagine I was not a hot commodity in school. Um, definitely had a bigger butt. My friends were all like 5'10 and 100-pound twigs. I was 5'3 and like 130. So I definitely stuck out like a sore thumb with my model friends. I had braces until I was a senior. Um, again, I didn't know what a flat iron was for your hair. The closest we got to that was we would lay on the ground and literally iron our hair with an iron. Um, not ideal. I would not suggest that. It did give you pin straight ends, but you also couldn't get up to your root without burning your scalp. So you had some weird hair. Another pretty embarrassing story when we even thought we were on the brink of being cool maybe was I think it was junior year there was a pajama night at a basketball game and we never went to like school events because we just would rather hang out by ourselves we weren't in that crowd but we decided we were going to do it one of our friends kind of got in the cool crowd she was like friends with the lacrosse girls and she like was adopted by them in a sense so we piggybacked off of her coolness and me and Lady and Cora uh, got ready for this pajama night. And I don't know, we thought it was a, a pajama night where you wore like cute matching pajamas and like slippers. And we even brought like a teddy bear with us. And we thought we were so cute. It was like the middle of January, it was freezing. We even put freckles on our face with like makeup. And when I tell you, we walked in to like fashion week pajama night. I'm not lying. People had on like silk Abercrombie and Fitch pajamas with like cute crop top tank tops and hair done. I was like, who goes to bed like this? No one. I did not realize this was Milan fashion week pajama week. I thought this was supposed to be like cute, cozy pajama, furry socks pajama week day. So me, Lady and Cora beelined it for a hallway by vending machines and literally snuck in the side of the vending machine. Well, no, that's a lie. First, we went outside in the freezing cold and we're like, yeah, we're not going in ever. Well, my hair actually froze. My, my braided pigtails, ugh, another one, froze. Like the hair tie wouldn't come out because it froze to my hair. So we had to go inside, but we were mortified. We literally hid in a corner for two hours they're going to hate me because yes, I did get a jacket from someone. So I put it on and left and I, I totally stranded them. Bad friends. Sorry. But just another thing to chalk up to how uncool we were in high school. Um, people were going to parties and like drinking and we had this really cool game where we would tie our shoelaces together and do like obstacle courses on their front lawn and just obviously eat shit all the time and just die laughing. Um, and then again, people would be at parties and we would be like choreographing dances and making our parents watch us before like they picked us up to go home. I can't even imagine what our parents were thinking or what they said behind our backs. Like, look at these dingbats, like choreographing ballet dances. And I'll never forget the song, Solitary Snowflake. Give it a listen. Um, as most people our age were like sneaking out and drinking Mike's hard lemonade in the woods. Nope. We were tying our shoelaces together, doing obstacle courses and choreographing dances in living rooms. I'm not sure if our parents were happy that they didn't have to worry or they actually worried more for us. That is to be determined. But yeah, we were definitely not winning most popular. That is for sure. I even got my braces off once, not once, forever, finally senior year and like kind of learned how to like do my hair and I definitely learned how to wear eyeliner, holy moly. And I got like a cool boy, he asked me to prom and I overheard him telling the table coordinator who he was bringing and her reaction was, who is that? Like the soccer girl? And I was like, ugh, my name is two letters, CJ. I've been here for four years, come on. Um, obviously I didn't say that, but yeah, no one knew who we were. So that's high school. We did graduate. I think we went to like one party once. We finally made it. Um, but we were definitely a different breed, but I think a great breed. Uh, I wouldn't change a thing. It cracks every time we get together, we talk about it. We crack up laughing just as much. We 
made scrapbooks when we were in school and we have pictures and proof still of these amazing nights and I swear we are in tears every time we look back at them. Um, so again, definitely not the coolest bunch, but still best friends to this day and pretty awesome memories. To segue into the soccer world, right? During this whole time, our soccer team was lights out. We were ranked top five in the country. We were, you know, away every weekend for sports. And this was when a time when there wasn't a hundred leagues, like there was one league. And if you were number three, you were number three in the country. Like there wasn't the A league and the B league and this league and that league and these national champions and these national champions. There was one best team in the state, one best team in the region and one best team in the country. And we had gotten up to number three in the country at some point. We were pretty awesome and we were so close. Our team was very unique in the sense that most of the things that went on would probably never fly now, but that's why we were so successful and why we turned into the adults that we did. Um, we had an amazing coach again that was younger who is still like a father slash older brother figure to me. My first car accident, I actually called him first to help me out. Um, the girls, we still get together every Thanksgiving to play in a tournament and then to hang out after. We're invited to like everyone's weddings. We're a super close knit group. Um, and I think the reason behind that was because of some of the crazy things that our coach had us do as a team. Some of the things we did as a team, um, there was a game called the chair game which right now would probably make it on News 12 or CNN um, if anyone did. We would partner up and you would get like 10 minutes to think of how to roast your partner and anything was fair game, like parents' divorces, your weight, like your grades in school or you know how you didn't get to play on our team. like. There was no off limits. It was ruthless. But the point was, I guess, to just like, I don't even know. To It was definitely a bonding experience. I mean, there were definitely tears and definitely fights, but we always came back together after it. And let me tell you, I would get roasted. Some of the things about me were obviously my weight always um, because I was bigger than 90% of the people on our team. Even though like when I look back at pictures, I wasn't big, but my friends were all so tall and so lean. But weight for sure, that was a number one. And um, my parents, how rough they were, right? Like they wouldn't leave me at tournaments if I didn't play well. They wouldn't feed me dinner if I didn't play well and all this stuff. And people would go hard. But holy moly, again, hysterical now that we look back on it. Amazing that we all are still friends. Um, Another thing that we love to look back on are the emails that our coach would write, where he would just be like, full honesty in writing to our parents, to each player in a group, so everyone could read it, reviews of our performance and our games. And a couple of things he had said about me once was that I was so bad that I couldn't dribble past a dead body. Phenomenal. Um, that I took me so long or I needed so much room to turn around with the ball. I needed an airport. Um, he was phenomenal at some one-liners. That's why he's like a super successful lawyer. But he would roast us. And I'm not even kidding. We probably lost like five times in our whole career. So it was just a standard that we were held. And we were just made to be tough. Um, we had to shovel fields if we wanted to, we played in the snow we ran and ran for fitness um no sympathy our goalie had acid reflex one time and i swear she puked up a whole entire dinner that she had the night before in the middle of a sprint and he was like keep it going let's go um we were playing a game once where we were winning at halftime and he was not happy with the performance and we did suicides at halftime I wish someone would have taken pictures of the other team's faces because they were like, wait, does this guy not know the score? Like they're winning, but he had a standard and we had to, we had to adhere. That was it. There was no excuses. And the coolest thing was that our parents were all behind it. 
it never got to a point where, you know, it was so bad or like they saw us getting, I guess, like really upset. I mean, of course we were always like we were upset sometimes, but they were supporters of this. They believed in it. They saw that their daughters were becoming strong women that were transferring these ideas and these beliefs into like aspects of school and how they talked about themselves and how they stood up to people. So they were the biggest supporters and they also loved each other. So they were friends and I swear they loved reading all these emails as well. Um, He would, our coach would collect the jerseys and only give them back to us if we were starting. So like we never knew if we were starting a game, but if we got a number one through 11, the day of the game, we knew we were starting. So nothing was given to you. You earned your spot every single week. We had written tests. We had to learn formations and the numbers of the players and different, you know, scenarios if we were losing or winning what we had to do. Written tests all the time. We would do film. Film wasn't really a thing back then. Um, but we were unbelievably close. Best of friends, still are. I'll never forget our last game together. Um, we were sobbing on the field, sobbing. Like for 90 minutes, we were crying. And it was at a thing called regionals, which is like the best teams in the region come to compete to go to nationals. And we lost every single year to this damn team from New Jersey, PDA. A lot of the national team players are from there. But we were playing some other team at the time. We were winning 11 to one at the end of the game and we were crying and all these college coaches were like why is this why are these girls crying like every one of them is going to a d1 school they're winning 11-1 what is going on and one of our parents were like this is the last game they're going to play together and we had been together since we were in like seventh grade which was rare we were just like a town team we weren't like an academy team and it shows you the amazing bond and relationship that our coach was able to foster and create between us. Um, Other teams that I had played for weren't like club teams. They were just like select teams. So used to be where you could try out to be on the top 20 in the state. Um, That was called the New York state team, you know, shocker. I had made that from the beginning and I had played with my age group there because you couldn't play up. Um, my club team, I played up a year. And from there, there was this thing called regional camp. All the teams in the region would go to a college. So our college was University of Rhode Island. And, you know, Maine, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Vermont, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and I think Maryland, Delaware. And I think that's it. Like all the Northeast state teams, so the best girls in that state would go to the University of Rhode Island every year for a week in the summer and you would live in the dorms it was 110 degrees you'd eat their cafeteria food and you would try out technically for a whole week to make what was called the regional team so there were four regions in the country you know the northeast the west the mid and the south I guess those four And out of all the states in those regions, they would pick the top 20 girls from all those states to be the regional team. And then there were four regional teams. So during this week of tryouts, again, it was a million degrees. You had two sessions of practice every day where people were just judging you, writing things down, and critiquing you. Every night, I believe, they would put a list up on the door of who was in the possible pool for the next day and then you guys would practice together. So the pool was about 40 kids, 40 girls each day and it would change every day. In, out, in, out, it all depended. And then on the last day, on the Friday, they had an event called Tears and Cheers and it's exactly what it sounds like. All 10 state teams, all the girls would sit in the bleachers and there would be a coach up front And he would read out the 20 names out of the 300 girls that made the regional team. And you would either cheer if you made it or tear if you didn't. And it was a pretty wild experience. Um, I was lucky enough that I made it every year. And then from there, they would pull like four or five girls to be on the national team, the youth national team. 
And lucky enough, I was, I guess not lucky enough, um, I worked very hard. I made that from when I was 16 up until I was like 20 or like 15, I think, up until I was like 20-ish. That was an amazing experience. Um, because the girls were from all over the country, in order to get together to practice, we would fly into Carson, California at the Home Depot Center, which I think now is the Staples Center, and we would practice. So I got a letter from the President of the United States, which obviously was not from him, to show my school that I was getting asked to miss days for the good of the country, which was pretty cool. Um, I would fly out with the other New York girls, we would go to California, practice. We would see like the real-time women's players, Mia Hamm, Christine Lilly, all them, if you know them. And it was quite the experience. We were dressed head to toe in Nike. We got to travel the world. I went to Brazil and Italy. Um, I actually had like a long-term boyfriend from California who was on the national team too. I went to their prom. I met all these fancy boy soccer players that you know made it really far. And it was, it was unbelievable. I still have friends in so many states because of that. It brought me a lot of attention for colleges. And I was lucky enough that I even committed to college when I was 15 years old. I had braces on. I was so young. I went down to Duke for my unofficial visit. They sat me and my dad down, offered me a full ride. And thank you, sir. Absolutely. I even danced with JJ Redick, if anyone's a basketball fan here, for like a hot minute when I went out, but like clearly he knew I was a recruit. Again, I had braces on at a bar, did not belong there. Some soccer girl probably like paid him 30 bucks to throw me a dance, um, but so cool and pretty awesome to come back to Long Island and to school and, you know, have that. I was the first kid in San Anthony's to commit to a college, probably one of the bigger ones, but, um, all while I was so young. My senior year, I tore my left knee, just like grandpa, just like dad. And I had to sit out of school ball, but I made a pretty good recovery. I definitely um, rushed back a little too fast, but you know, that's very me. And unfortunately, after my freshman year at Duke, I had to have another knee surgery. Um, I did not play a lot my freshman year at Duke. I was behind a senior captain as a center mid. So I did not really get on the field all that much. But luckily in the NCAAs, I did. And I kind of made my spot known. I scored the winning PK to send us to the next round. And my sophomore year was a big difference. I played pretty much 90 minutes of every game. Had a great year. Um, probably best soccer year of my life. We unfortunately lost to Notre Dame 3-2 to two in the Elite Eight up in Illinois in the middle of November. It was like negative 21 at kickoff. My dad drove there. He had icicles on his mustache and it was freezing. Um, they scored the last goal in like the last 10 seconds and took that final four dream away from me. Um, props to my dad, literally never missed a game. He would drive down to Duke, watch the game and drive home. It's 10 hours minimum down, 10 hours minimum home and he made every single one. Um, warrior, I, he's incredible, but it was so amazing to me that he was there. Um, such a staple for me. Mom made a ton too, but dad drove literally down and back in one day just to watch a game. I did transfer to St. John's in my junior year. I was a pretty last minute transfer, so I ended up living in the boys' soccer house because there was no space I was able to then major in teaching, education. Duke did not have that. And once again, I never started. Uh, the team was established. Coach liked who he liked. Didn't matter that I was from Duke. And I never really started a game. I would go in in three minutes, which still to this day does not make much sense to me. But female sports and female coaches are always interesting. And... I made some of the best friends I also I've ever had there. There were 15 of us in the class. It was huge. But we made the NCAAs for the program's first time ever. Um, and yeah, so we made history there, which was great. I got to major in education again, like I said. I moved in with my friend senior year. And then was when I kind of started to put on weight because I don't mean to knock St. John's at all, but it was definitely 
not the caliber of Duke in a sense, and I could get by a lot easier with just my soccer skill. Like I never really had to push all that as hard as I had to at Duke. And just the Big East was not as competitive as um, the ACC was. So I, you know, graduate when I'm 20, right? I just turned 21, I guess. And I kind of was a little jaded from sports. It was the first time in my life I never was forced, not forced, but had a commitment to working out. And I enjoyed not. I ate like crap because I didn't really know much about nutrition and fitness and I didn't realize that once you stopped playing sports every day you can't eat the way you did when you played sports every day so I put on a ton of weight I was pushing almost nearly you know 190 ish pounds I probably stopped weighing myself so who knows what my true weight was but I was large and in charge I started subbing at random schools I nannied for a while but I moved out I never came home after college I always had my own place it was just the best decision for me and my family we got along a lot better in our own environments so I was from again the second I graduated college financially in charge of myself um I always had odd jobs bartending waitressing again nannying subbing until I finally hit a job in the Bronx for a health and chemistry teacher so I'm history certified and with Catholic schools, they don't have to have your certification. So I saw this opening in the Bronx at a Catholic school and I applied. I walked in and they're like, you're history certified. I'm like, I understand that, but I know how to teach. So I can teach health and I can teach chemistry. It's not the content. I know how to present material. I will work hard and I will give you all I can. They were obviously in a little bit of a desperate situation. Um, it wasn't the best socioeconomic school a lot of those kids got like um, grants to go there because they were um, behavioral problems in their own school so the fact that I walked in wide-eyed and bushy-tailed ready to teach they were like oh you you naive little girl sure you're in so I got my full-time my first full-time teaching job in the Bronx as a health and chemistry teacher again I lived about an hour and ten minutes away from there and I wasn't even certified in that subject and I think I barely passed chemistry in high school so I studied every day before I taught and it was definitely an experience um, I actually liked it I really liked the kids it was definitely wild I'll never forget one of the worst fights I ever saw happen there and a dad drove by of one of the people in the fights and instead of breaking it up he threw his daughter a baseball bat and I was like holy moly we are in a different world wizard of oz right dorothy go back home so i spent like two years there and then i got a permanent sub job out in west hampton where i was hoping that i would get a history job the next year that didn't really work out and i was very lucky and found a history job in a very high-end north shore school where i landed myself for two years during this time was when I moved in with one of my best friends and she inspired me to get my butt moving again. She signed us up for that half marathon um, and I fell back into love with movement. I started going to the gym again, I was training for the run, but I didn't really understand nutrition, right? So I was training for this half marathon and doing juice cleanses and low carb and fasting even though I didn't really know what fasting was I was doing crazy long hit workouts in our little apartment gym where I was like dripping in sweat and totally not fueling myself the way I should but I was moving again and I was falling in love with being an athlete again and thank goodness for her because we all needed I needed to get back into that um, fast forward about a year, I met Tom on, well, I saw Tom on a dating app, but we had common friends who owned a CrossFit gym. He was a bartender on Fire Island where I would go. Our first time we tried to meet up, I like lost my phone because I was, you know, partying and nervous. So then we didn't meet up because I couldn't text him and it was a hot mess. And then the nerve on this guy, I gave him like an out. 
we were supposed to go on a date and I was like, oh, if you're tired, like, don't worry about it. You know, just being nice. And his answer was, oh, okay, good. Yeah, let's cancel. And I was like, what? Like, that was rude. That doesn't happen. Um, and then he did it again. And I texted her common friend and I was like, what is going on with this guy? And he, you know, told Tom, let's go, get it together, take her out. We did. Um, we went to a restaurant and true life, I had to, I didn't have to. He got full and obviously I was not full, but I was like, okay, it's our first date. I guess I'll be full. And for the first time in my life, I think I walked out with a doggy bag. And then after the first date, I was like, you know what? If he's going to like me, he's got to see the real me. And eight years later, I've never walked out with a doggy bag since. But I had also just bought in a house. So that's why he went on the date with me. On um, the day I closed on my own house at 26 years old, he said, oh, yeah, today's a good day to go on a first date. You just bought a house? That's amazing. Let's hang out. And he came with cookies that said congratulations. And he basically never left. Um, he was always there. We worked out together all the time. He got into the police academy and we had a perfect schedule where he was out at three. I was done teaching at three. We would meet up at the CrossFit gym. Um, we would work out together. He got me really into it. Um, I got certified, went to a class in New York City, and that's where I first learned about macros. So in CrossFit certification, they don't just teach you about working out, they teach you about health and nutrition too, which was exactly what I was missing. And they really opened my eyes to like eating and eating in balance. And they preach a lot of paleo, but it was the first time that someone really let me or showed me the real way. Um, we, me and Tom started dating in 2015. We got engaged in 2017, married in 2018. I planned our wedding literally on a pile of grass out in Amagansett. It was unbelievable. And we had planned on going on a honeymoon over Christmas break. And I got pregnant in August, right after we got married. So we are almost, we are five and a half years into our marriage with no honeymoon. Uh, it'll come. We had our little Rusty in 2019. I had a new teaching job at a local high school, 20 minutes away great spot it's actually where I grew up so it's right in my parents backyard um where I'm gonna probably stay forever still there and then shortly in 2020 we bought a forever home in the town that Tom's parents live Tom's twin brother lives four houses away Tom's police partner lives 10 houses away Tom's two aunts live two blocks away Tom's grandparents live two miles away. So Tommy tricked me into coming into the Delicia Bermuda Triangle, and it could not have been the, could not be the best decision I've ever made. Um, when you hear the term, it takes a village to raise a family, it does, and we have the best village around us. And my parents are 20 minutes away, but they are just as incredible. We have helping hands all the time. The town is so cute. I'm so happy we are here. Um, we gutted the first floor uh, when we moved in. Gutting a first floor in the winter with a one and a half year old and then I was pregnant again, probably one of the worst decisions I made in my life. Um, we lived in one room and the garage and we had nowhere to go because it was freezing outside. It was definitely a test of our family, but we made it out. Um, during this time, I actually started also working at Orange Theory. So I kind of wanted something different than CrossFit. I also love my side jobs and my side hustles. So I started working at the front desk at Orange Theory, got a free membership for it, worked out a bunch. Um, I loved it and I saw what it did and I saw that you know the camaraderie and the coaching people fell in love with. But I also saw that people plateaued eventually, right? There was a certain body you could get at Orange Theory and then that was probably it. You weren't ever gonna get toned or strong because of just how the classes were and a lot of injuries because you know 30 people in a class with one coach no matter how good the coach is there's a lot of issues going on so I definitely lived in that life um once you know I pulled out of that I kind of went back to CrossFit we had Rory Girl in 2021 and that's when I really started the bodybuilding stuff I couldn't really get to CrossFit class um it was a lot for me to drive 15 minutes 
have an hour class, drive 15 minutes home, and sometimes the workouts at CrossFit are 15 minutes. So I want to make sure if I have an hour dedicated to working out, I'm using the time appropriately. So I just found myself using our home gym a lot more lifting. It was a lot more conducive for a newborn too and a two-year-old where I could stop. Like I'm going to deadlift one set and then I can stop and arrange things for them. I'm not in the middle of a workout that has to be timed. So it was a lot more mom-friendly. Um, I actually called it lifting and lattes because I, it was kind of during COVID in a little bit where I would have other moms come over to the gym. I would train them. They would bring their babies. Um, we would put on Coco Melon and they'd bring over coffee and we'd lift. And some people really fell in love with it. That's where my assistant coach, Steph, came from. She was actually a client of mine pregnant for the first time. And it opened her eyes to lifting and getting in shape. And she's now literally one of my best friends. Um, it was an awesome world to get into. And then, again, because I can't do more, I can't do only one job, I became a virtual assistant for a big time nutrition company. And I was the DMer, right? I slid into people's DMs to try and get them to sign up for coaching. And I learned a lot during this. I obviously had to know about macros and lifting because you can't talk to someone and to tell them to sign up for coaching and you give them like wrong information or you don't know answers. I also was took advantage and used this program to get certified through. And I got a discount because I was an employee. So I became a nutritionist, became a certified personal trainer through them during this. Learned a lot about the social media end. Um, the company is like DLD Nation and shout out to them for being one of the most awesome bosses I've ever worked for, truly cared about their employees, would text you randomly just to make sure your mental health was okay, would send you money for coffee randomly. Um, they're an awesome group of females that run the place. Um, yes, there are males too, but I dealt mostly with the female owners and, you know, I guess assistant owners. Um, and they were amazing. And they're still helpful today, even though I have my own company. I know I'm no one to them, but they are willing to help me out no matter what. They're not like you have your own company. Uh, no, we're competition. They are amazing. So from there, I um, became an assistant coach with another company, another amazing, kind woman that had a small company. And even though it was short-lived, I learned a lot. And I just knew that I kind of wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be my own boss, kind of make my own plan, my own embodiment of what I believed in my own culture. So in March of 2023, not too long ago, I launched CJC, which is now CJLC, and it's been absolutely incredible. I'm still teaching full-time, have my four-year-old, have my two-year-old, have my husband, my parents, everyone around me. I wear a million hats, but I wouldn't change anything. I have come in contact with the most amazing clients that are local and that are also all the way across the country and have become friendly with them and just ran a half marathon with some of them. We have meetups. I have been brought to tears by some of them. Also brought to yelling, just kidding, never yelled. Um, but it's an amazing community and where we preach again, consistency, not perfection. We try and coach the whole person, not just their weight on a scale. There's so much more to that. Uh, we are lucky enough to have my friend Steph as our assistant coach and my husband join the crew for all the males that want help. And again, it's it's new, but it is unbelievable. And again, it's a lot of morals, I guess not morals, but a lot of teachings that my parents instilled in me when I was little, right? We show up. We're disciplined. We're not motivated, right? Motivation doesn't cause results. Results actually leads to motivation, Um we just get it done. Someone told me once that I should be a motivational speaker because of all that I do. And I thought about it for about 10 seconds. And I was like, no, I'd be horrible because Nike stole the only line that I would say, like, just do it. Like, just get it done. So much and so many of us underestimate our abilities and underestimate what we can do and what we can take on, especially females. We are unbelievably powerful and so important and so strong so that's a little bit about me not a little bit I guess it's like an hour long holy smokes um, I hope most of it you were able to laugh at and kind of get a picture of where I came from and who I am and who my family is 
And I really hope you tune in for episode three. It is actually going to be a recap of the half marathon that I ran, which I actually ran today. And I'm now recording this, but it's a fun one. Uh, Tune in and thank you again for being here. A live podcast, better than average, but not perfect. Have a great day. Thank you.